Hello, hello, and welcome to The Art of Being You with me, Rachel Wortman. You guys, this podcast is all about learning to be who God created you to be, embracing that person, and ultimately living your best life with Jesus. We've got a lot of great content today, so let's get to it in The Art of Being You. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Welcome to The Art of Being You. Today, we're going to talk about the fear of the future or what it looks like to journey into the unknown and do that with confidence. Um, Listen, I know that a lot of us actually struggle with feeling afraid of change. Uh, It causes a little bit of panic inside of us. But then there are others who actually crave change, who live on change, who have no problem cutting ties and adventuring out west, so to speak. But today I want to talk about how do we deal with that resistance that comes up inside of us that is not wanting to change or when change is coming, when change is inevitable, we struggle to really trust God. That's what we're going to be diving into today. You know that scripture in Proverbs 31 that she laughs at the days to come, right? That that she laughs at the future kind of thing. And I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me to read to you. But that ideal is what we're all looking for, I think. That when we think about what is to come, that there's a levity inside of us. When we're worried, when we're stressed, it's very hard to laugh, right? To genuinely laugh. To be lighthearted enough to laugh means that we are expecting good things. A lot of us are not expecting good things when we think about the future. We shared a couple of episodes ago, I think it might have actually been last year, about the idea of a foreboding spirit and what it means to be living under this sense of impending doom around every corner. In fact, I shared with you guys that oftentimes a foreboding sense is actually a form of PTSD. It's a it's a, a stressor that's caused from trauma that we experience in our life. Now, when you say PTSD, sometimes people immediately think about combat, sometimes people think about about um, extremely abused people. And although that absolutely is the case, a lot of us carry triggers and we carry stressors related to the trauma that we've encountered. And that can absolutely challenge us when we think about the future. I don't know about you, but I watched Frozen 2. So I watched Frozen 1 in the theater when it came out with my kids, and it was a delight in the most delectable way. I mean, I remember by the end of it, wanting it to just continue on. Olaf, Elsa, all of it was just such a great Disney film. In fact, we actually went to watch it in the theater a second time, something I think we've only done like twice as a family. And so, of course, when the soundtrack came out, I'm, you know, weeping my way through her uh, rendition of Let It Go, like many of you were, and you just don't want to admit it. Uh, No, we were in a big transition in our life when that happened. We were moving to Oklahoma City to plant a church, and I would just listen to the soundtrack with my kids in the car and find myself just weeping to the Let It Go soundtrack. It's a little bit of a weird memory. But when Frozen 2 came out, we were so excited about that movie. It was a total letdown, in my personal opinion. It was a money grabber. Uh, I did enjoy it to the sense that it takes a lot for me to just wish I hadn't seen a movie. Um, I did enjoy it in that way, but I felt like it was really over the heads of almost all the kids in the theater. And when you get to that moment in Frozen 2, if you were obligated to see it like I was... 
Elsa's big song, which doesn't hold a candle to let it go, is her Into the Unknown. And she hears this little voice calling to her, right? And she begins to echo into the canyon. And like a psychopath, Elsa goes off on this death-defying adventure, trying to figure out what is waiting for her in the great unknown. And if you and I are Elsa, we might hear that calling and probably never pursue it. Because we're looking at all of the hurdles, all of the challenges, all of the danger that awaits us. I don't think it's fair to say that God is looking for his people to embrace danger at every turn. I don't think that God is saying that you have to be like Elsa in Frozen 2, absolutely willing to forsake everything on a whim that something might be waiting for you in the unknown. But I do think that God wants us to be able to consider following him wherever he leads us without fear. And that is what today's episode is all about. How do we get there? How do we let go of our pessimism? How do we let go of our negativity that is just assuming the worst? Now, I guess the better question would be to ask, how did you get to be someone who assumes the worst? That's a question you've got to ask yourself. If you're a pessimist or even a realist for that matter, you've got to actually look at yourself and say, how did I get here? And what about this is in agreement with the things of God and what is not in agreement with the things of God? For a lot of us, we got to this place of ultra reserve, anti-change, fear of the unknown, because when we got into the unknown places in our life, we were met with tremendous disappointment. How many of you would say that you are prone to wanting to be in control? You're prone to needing to feel in control, to be the one to make the decisions, to be the one to know what's going to happen. If that's you, probably you are in control because you are actually afraid of something. I don't know about you, but for me, I'm a recovering control freak. Every time I want to say I am recovered, something pops up and I have to remember, no, I'm, I'm still recovering. I'm not fully there yet. I'm a recovering control freak. And the reason why I like to be in control is because I don't like pain. I don't like to feel pain. I don't like to be disappointed. I don't like to be rejected. And in my brain, on my very like deep subconscious level, I have figured out that if I can be in control, then I can actually avoid at least a portion of pain because I know what's coming. Because I know I can be, you know, I can predict it. My husband and I have this conversation all the time about vacations, and we love to travel together. We love to take our family on vacations every year, and that's something we're really blessed to be able to do. And, you know, I always enjoy the thought of going back to the same place every year. But my husband is not like that. We joke one of the most uh, disappointing moments of my life. Now, that's that's not actually true. But a great down moment in our marriage was we went on this incredible trip to Hawaii a couple years ago, and it was amazing. I had the best time. We had a great time. The scenery was just breathtaking. The whole time I was there, I was thinking, this is my happy place. I could come here all the time. Now, my bank account doesn't necessarily agree with that, but my mind was absolutely in that place. And I will never forget forget the last day of our trip sitting by the pool before we left for the airport. And I said to my husband, I think we should come back here with the kids. And he looked at me and he said, oh no, we're never coming back here again. 
And I was like, what? And he began to say, look at all, look how beautiful this is. There's got to be just as much, if not more beauty out there in other islands of Hawaii. Let's go to a different place next time. And we joke about that because it was such a soul crushing moment for me. And we were actually talking about that recently. Uh, it's not a wounded thing. So don't, don't be, you know, praying for me or anything like that. It's more comical than anything. But honestly, when I think about planning a vacation, I think about everything that could go wrong. I think about what if we get there and we didn't bring something that we have at home, we have to go buy it again. What if the weather turns out to not be good? What if there was something we didn't know because we'd never been there? And that causes this sense of anxiety. That anxiety causes me to want to be in control, to over-prepare, to read all about it, to you know scroll Instagram hashtags, Pinterest posts, Google searches, all of that, to try to know everything I can know about where I'm going so that, you guessed it, I won't have to feel the pain of disappointment, the frustration of if only I had, that kind of thing. What is that? Well, that's self-preservation. That's control. I know that the vacation analogy is a little bit silly, but we do this in all the areas of, my, of our life, don't we? We think about our future and we start to overanalyze. We start to overplan. We think about what it's going to look like when our kids get to another stage and we begin to start panicking over a place we're not even in yet. What I want you to see and what I want you to take a look at in yourself is to see, is there control coming out of a place of wounding? Is there a need to be in self-preservation mode? Here's where it gets tricky. When we come into the kingdom of God as sons and daughters of God, Jesus becomes our protector he becomes our defender. He becomes our source. And if we're not careful, we actually boot him out of that role in favor of our own self-preservation, in favor of protecting ourselves for fear that God might not. When we think about responding to the melodic call that Elsa was hearing, listening from the mountains, when we think about God whispering something to us, change is coming, come on an adventure with me, what is it that rises up inside of you? And is it self-preservation? I don't know about you, but we've got to deal with that place in ourselves. Here's where I think it's rooted. It's rooted in the belief that God is not capable of picking us up if we fail. Now, you might say to me, Rachel, I don't consciously think that. And I would say that's fair. But I want you to do a little bit of thinking. Because when we slip into self-preservation mode, what we're doing is saying, I've got this, God. I've got it. You don't need to help me with this. I can protect myself. But once we're in that mode, we're, we're not receiving from his flow anymore. We're not centered in his presence anymore. This is why it matters. The Proverbs 31 woman, who is sort of like the pinnacle woman for us to, to be like, and in case you're wondering, she was a business savvy businesswoman. She uh, cared you know, for her family. She dressed well. She dressed her kids well. I mean, this was a lady who had a lot going on. This is someone who we should want to be like, ladies. This is nothing confining about that whatsoever. When she laughs at the days to come, when she has no fear of the future, that's not because she's capable in and of herself of taking care of everything. It's because she really believes that God is in her future. She really believes that God is going to take care of her. So you and I, we have to think about that. Do we believe that? 
When we look at the current world events, when we look at how difficult life has been over the last two years, I don't know about you, I think I'm a slow processor, but in the last two months, all of the stress of COVID has been catching up to me. It's like, I think I was just telling myself all through 2020, we've got this, we've got this, another couple of weeks, it'll be over. And all of a sudden it's 2021 and I'm going, I need to process that. I sort of wishfully thought myself through it. And now I'm kind of like, ah, you know, and having to stop back and step back and and de-stress a little bit about it. When we think about everything that we've been through just in the last two years, it can be easy to begin to panic when we think forward. But listen, here's what I want you to hear me say. God is waiting in your future as present as he is in your present tense right now. And he is more than capable of taking care of whatever will come your way. Here's what gets tricky. When Jesus taught us to pray in the garden, the disciples asked him, how should we pray? And he goes into what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. He says, give us this day our daily bread. When we look in the Old Testament and the the Israelites were coming out of Egypt and they needed food, God gave them daily manna on the ground. If they tried to keep it, it wouldn't keep. If they tried to collect some on a Monday afternoon to store over for Tuesday or Wednesday so they didn't have to go out and, and work again and get it, it wouldn't work. Only on the Sabbath, they were allowed to collect two days worth of manna. It wouldn't spoil on that day, but it would spoil on the other day. Why does this matter? Because the daily bread is a principle of the kingdom of God, that God will give you what you need when you need it. When we set out on the journey, we don't always have everything that we need, but we're also not in need yet. Does this make sense? It's like as we're going and following Jesus and moving forward and, and charting new territory and, and, and doing something new, it's very hard to understand how God will come through for us in that moment. But that's because you haven't been in that moment yet. We have to live from the place that God is always and, and really always is the best way to say it. He is always going to provide whatever it is that we need. The provision is already established, but you can't see it yet because you're not there yet. Sometimes the fear that we have of change or the fear we have of the future is because we want to know what God is going to do in that moment, right? Well, listen, that's again, self-preservation. That's us relying on our own ability. Well, I'll go there if I know what it's going to be like. That's not the way the kingdom works. We go there because we know what God is like We know who he is. We know how he works. We might not know what he's going to do, but we know he will. It's a really challenging thing to think about if God is big enough to pick us up, if God is big enough to reestablish us if we fail. If we're dreaming or thinking about stepping out in faith into something like, okay, God is calling me into something and I'm going to do it. I'm going to actually obey. I'm going to make a change, maybe a career change or, or, you know, jumping into a new church or something like that. When we step into that type of a place, we have to believe, we have to know, we have to have confidence that God is meeting us every step of that way, even if he doesn't tell us the whole thing on the front end. And in the same way, we have to understand that if we make a mistake, God will be there. 
it reminds me of Peter. Uh, you know, Peter has a colossal mistake, right? When he denies Jesus three times. One of the things I think we overlook is the stress that Peter was under that night. Here he's sitting at this table and he's watching uh, all the stuff go down at the Last Supper and he's learning that Judas, one of their, you know, inner circle people is about to do something irrevocably stupid. And then not only that, Jesus, his Lord, his master, his best friend tells him, you're not even going to know me. You're, you're going to deny me. And I, I can just imagine Peter going, I can't even imagine what you're saying. That cannot be true. But then here's the part we often gloss over. Just a few moments later in the garden, Peter fails by not being able to stay awake with Jesus. If you've ever failed somebody, it feels horrible. It feels horrible. I've been failing my kids a couple times over the last few weeks. It's been the most aggravating, frustrating thing of my life. I forgot to bring my son lunch one day. Uh, You know, hopefully this isn't like lifetime wounding for him, but I just totally forgot. Actually, that's not entirely true. I didn't forget. I forgot to clarify with him which day I was coming. And so he thought I meant that day and I wasn't. I am pretty sure I forgot to buy my kids yearbooks. Also a horrific feeling if you're a mom and you've got little kids in elementary school. I've failed my kids some, and it lingers with you, right? It stays in your mind. It kind of creates this fog around you. So here Peter is dealing with an impending failure, and then he has failed Jesus by falling asleep in the garden. I think in the fog of that failure, when the army comes with Judas and Judas betrays Jesus with the kiss and Peter lops the guy's ear off, another failure in the same night, I think Peter is reeling. I think he's in a huge funk. I think he's like going, what the heck is happening to me? And just a few hours later is when he denies Jesus three times. Talk about a one, two, three, you're out situation. I think Peter, I think there's no wonder why he went back to fishing. He's like, look, I I cannot cut it. I mean, I blew it with Jesus in the garden. I blew it with Jesus in the garden with the guy's ear. I blew it, you know, denying him. I am worthless. And Jesus comes to Peter. You know, this story is one of the best when Jesus makes breakfast and he restores Peter. He says, look, I forgive you. Three times he gives him a chance to commit to helping the body of Christ. It's an unbelievably beautiful story. Three times Jesus says, look, I'm giving you an opportunity. I'm picking you up. Now, when you and I imagine our future and we imagine potentially failing God, doing something wrong, getting it wrong, thinking that we're obeying but being wrong, do we believe that Jesus is going to meet us on the shore while we're out with our head between our tail fishing? the very place we shouldn't be? Do we believe that Jesus is going to go get us and bring us back into the fold? Do you believe that? Do you believe that in the same way Jesus cared for Peter, he will care for you? You should. And if you don't, I recommend that you really spend some time understanding and encountering the loving, merciful nature of God. It's not that God just goes, I don't care if you fail. It's not that. It said, he says, my grace is so sufficient that when you fail, not if, but when you fail, because it will happen at some point, I will be there for you. You can rely on me. You can lean on me. Just don't separate yourself from me. The most dangerous thing we can do when we think about moving into the unknown, when we think about stepping into our future, the most dangerous thing we can do is be in a vein or a mode of self-preservation where we push God aside relying on our own ability to control and protect ourselves. 
We might have a few more bumps and bruises by letting that guard down, but you will be so much more whole being completely dependent on Jesus to take care of that part for you. So if you're listening to this, and again, you're hearing that melodic call that Elsa did in Frozen 2, if you're listening to this and you're just thinking, when I think about next year, I I start to panic. When you think about next week, you start to panic. Look, check yourself. Try to identify what is it in you that feels so scared? What is it in you that struggles so much to trust God in that area? I'm not saying that you just flippantly write it down and move on as if it's not a big deal. That's not really the case. In my experience, Jesus comes and he looks at that and he says, that's valuable. You know, a lot of times when we have childhood wounding like this, God will look and he'll say, look, that's valuable because that helped you get to this point, but it's not needed for the next part of this journey. Listen, friend, you don't have to be in control in this next leg of your journey. You don't have to be in self-preservation mode. You can trust God. You can laugh at the days to come. Until next time, be blessed. So you've just listened to The Art of Being You with Rachel Wortman. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my podcast. And listen, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and rate or review this podcast on wherever you're listening from. Also, share it with a friend. Help me get the word out. Until next time, be blessed.